Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I hope you're having a great day and welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi a better place to live, work, and play. Today we're having a Coast View session with Wayne Rodolfich. He's a superintendent of Pascagoula Gautier School District. He's been there for 15 years and recognized last year as Mississippi Superintendent of the Year. Welcome to the studio, Wayne. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on the show. And one of the challenges of coming on this show is knowing that we're not going to have a surface-level story, that you're going to get dig deep. And it's yeah. what I've always appreciated about you thank in you. the journalism field. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. It's been, it's been a great opportunity for me to put this light on people like you and have a deep conversation about the person behind the public face. Because you have a lot, just your own story. Forget about your involvement in education. Your own story is one that can inspire people, no matter what field they're, they're in and what, whatever field they're looking to get in. Um, by, by understanding these inflection points, these moments along the way in your journey, then I think it can inspire them to, 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 to look for their moments in their lives. So thank you for agreeing to be on the show. You know, we're going to come back to this in the last segment. Um, we're certainly going to talk about education today, but I really, you know, we're going to spend more time talking about your role and your leadership in education and your life story, the, the path you took to become a superintendent, the superintendent of the year in Mississippi. Um, but I, I think it would be important to just say at the very beginning, so people will capture this, because I don't want to lose the importance of this going into this conversation. Why is education so critical? Well, I think the number one thing that we've gotten away from in education is the experience of learning. It has become such a test-driven organization that we're no longer learning by doing. And I think the experiential aspect of learning is the most important thing. And I think that's why you're seeing this comeback of the vocational, career technical, those skilled jobs that are out there. And and we're, we're fortunate in our district to be able to already be there with those opportunities in place for our students. But it's something you'll see the state go back to. Well, you've got, you know, right there in your district, you've got two of the largest, most important industrial uh, companies in the state, Chevron and, um, and Ingalls, which I refer to as the bookends because on the other side you've got Stennis Space Center and then all the amazing things that are happening in between. But you do have the benefit. But it doesn't, and we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but it doesn't mean that you're going to listen to the people who lead those organizations and as you and I discussed before the show, what we're seeing is there's a change in economic development happening around the country today, and that is that companies are beginning to choose um, communities to relocate their companies or to, or to start companies based on the employees and the skill sets and, and the workforce that's already there and available. So you're very cued into that, and we're going to come back to that in a co- couple of minutes. Um, I really look forward to this conversation. I think... You know, throughout my, my tenure at the Sun-Herald, which I knew you well then and then since then watching you, you're literally one of the hardest working leaders in the community I've ever come in contact with. And, and I mean in any field. Um, you, the coast is really lucky to have you. And one of the things that, that really stuck out to me, and this, this happens when I post about who my next guest is going to be, you can tell a lot about a person 
by the amount of Facebook activity there is around them when I post that they're going to be sort of the next guests on the show. Let me give you an example. A couple of, couple of comments here. Zach Scruggs from Second Chance said that Wayne is a rock star, a great advocate for people, for public education in, in Pascagoula. He has also been a great partner for us on adult education and workforce training, a real treasure. Todd Trenchard, who's, man, hit my conversation with Todd was so inspiring. If you haven't watched that, find the Todd Trenchard conversation at our Facebook page and watch it because it's extraordinarily important, especially if you have any issues with addiction. Watch this. There is hope. But anyway, Todd is now the executive director for the Baco McCarty Foundation. He said that Wayne has changed the landscape of our community. The Performing Arts Center that you developed, Wayne, will become an ep- will become epic, he says. Glad to see you're hosting him, great community partners of, of ours. Jerry St. Pay, who I refer to as a living legend, literally a, a, a living legend. Um, his work at Ingalls and in the community is unparalleled. Um, he said of you that it will be an inspiring, informative, engaging conversation. And, I, you know, I could really go on. I mean, there's more and more about that. And you're humble, I know, about when people say that about you, but you have decided that you're going to lead by example. You're, just, you're not going to boast. You're not, you're not a boastful type of person, but you're going to lead by example. I love, actually, that you literally are practicing what you preach with your own kids. Um, I read a story where you had 200 animals in their sort of natural environments on the floor in your living room and that's how you were teaching your kids. And you made a comment about iPads and iPhones, but what was the point of that? Well, basically, what we, my children and I, and I, I began at three years old with my eight-year-old now, Jonna, and I wanted to teach them about art. So we took four-by-four four sheets of plywood, and I started teaching them how to apply sponge and brush techniques to create uh, different environments. And so we would build these environments, which are biomes, from the bottom up, and then we would take slike animals, which are very well-made animals, very expensive, and then I would gradually add to each collection. But the whole point was to teach, number one, tactile use of your hands for art, but also learning about the different species of animals, the habitats they lived in, the climates, you know, uh, the difference between amphibians and, you know, land animals. And so there's just a lot of opportunity to teach your children by spending time with them, mm-hmm. but also to teach them to learn by doing. Yes. And that's yeah. where, and, and of course, we can always revert back to an iPad, but even as adults, we become bored with it. And it's mm-hmm. a habit former. I'd yeah. rather have habits that are creative habits in my children. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. And it's great to see you leading by example. One of the things I read about you is that as part of your literacy program, you literally visited 500 families, 500 families, thir- a third grade family. Mm-hmm. Tell me, did you literally go to 500 homes? Yes. My, I usually take one of my uh, school district resource officers with me so that they can have a better image with children that they're there to help. And our initial visits were over 500 where we went to every home. And of course, we didn't reach every parent, but we did leave a literacy packet and a chapter book for every child. And I call them from the front door if they're not home. If they don't speak English, I call an interpreter to call for me to tell them why we're there and we're here to help. And I never tell people, you should read more with your children or your children don't read well. I say, what can we as a school district do better to help your child to be successful in reading? This point about not speaking English is important. You you were telling me that 20% of your students now are non-English speaking. Well, yes, 20% are Hispanic. And then we have another, the second highest number of English language learners in the state of Mississippi and that's about 9 or 10% of our population. Goodness gracious, man. So, um, boy, that's incredible. 
the other the other sort of like thing I want to kick off at the beginning of this conversation is that I, I mentioned a minute ago that you've got these large industries, these important companies that are part of Jackson County that are really important anchors for the rest of the coast. You actually visited with over a hundred leaders face to face to ask them what they're looking for in their future employees. Tell me about that. Yeah, and well, just recently I was in San Diego, California for the AASA uh, superintendents event uh, over around the state superintendent of the year. And while I was there, I did five interviews with different organizations. I went up to La Jolla, California and visited with Regents Pizza and asked them, tell me the secret of your durability. And they told me the secret of their durability is the quality in their product that they sell. And I said, you know, I've been here for over an hour and I'm looking around and everyone's moving. Everyone has purpose. Is that part of your secret? And the manager graciously sat down with me for about 30 minutes gave me what he thought because and I told him I said look I'm not here to ask you anything but what can we do better as a school district in South Mississippi to have a person ready to come and run your organization and so he would give me the different things you know and, and I did that with multiple I went to the Maritime Museum there had the same conversation uh, spent a lot of time talking to Lyft drivers about their journey and their work in a second job and all these different aspects but I, I think it's important for us in education and you know in a leadership position we talk a lot yeah. But learning to listen, and I think this is part of maturity, mm-hmm. uh, is what changes your perspective on what you can do to better serve people. And I think that this listening tour of over 100 interviews has yeah. been part of that for us. It's so interesting that you have a Croatian culture. You come from the creation, Croatian culture. You know, I'm, I'm married to Bohanovic. My kids are now in Croatian culture. And I've interviewed a, a number of leaders on the coast who come from a Croatian culture. And uh, I spent time in Croatia. And, you know, it's interesting that these folks who came over here from Croatia, they wanted to make sure the next generation had more than they had. How did that affect you growing up? Well, I was put to work at Cool Just Seafood when I was about 16 years old. And I learned to shovel shrimp getting up at 3.30 in the morning and then working until the shrimp were done. You, you took every boat that came in. So you'd work, sometimes you'd work 100-hour weeks. And the process of shrimp um, in manufacturing the product and then transporting the project is a huge logistics operation. You don't know that as a child. When you become an adult, you look at the intricacies of running a shrimp factory. And we also did oysters as well. Uh, so it was about work. And I can remember a lesson I learned from my father. We were washing dishes one night. My dad said, y'all wash the dishes, you and your brother. So I washed what I thought was half the dishes and went and sat on the couch. And he goes, hey, why is Jake still washing dishes? And I said, well, I'm done with my half. He says, there is no half. There's when the job is finished, get back to the sink. And that was the way we were raised, that you're going to work until the job's finished. Mm-hmm. Well, you had uh, you had your own pair of white boots, didn't you, Wayne? I still have them. <laughs> I actually spoke with those boots and a shovel at the uh, superintendent convention. Did you really? I did. And what was the, tell us about that. Well, my point was that, you know, you think you know about what people in the seafood industry do, but you're learning to count multiples. You're learning about tripolyphosphate, sodium bisulfate, all these chemicals that you use to treat the seafood with for preservatives to add weight. Uh-huh. Uh, you learn about uh, the loading of trucks, how to load, how to stack, how to sort. Let's do this. When we come back, we'll, we'll pick it up from there and continue okay. that conversation because there was a lot that you learned and it really set the, the foundation for you as you went forward. Uh, we've got Wayne Rodolfich, who's the superintendent of schools for Pascoola Moss Point, uh, uh, Pascoola Gaucher. And uh, the superintendent of the year last year will we'll see you after the break.
It's a great time to be on the coast, and we love talking about it. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Wayne Rudolphich here, who's the superintendent of school for Pascual Negotiate and the superintendent of the year last year. We're having just a great conversation. Where we ended uh, before the break, we were talking about he actually brought his seafood shovel and white boots that he used to wear at the seafood factory on the point to a speech that he gave and he was telling me about telling us about um you know what he learned so continue continue that way well the point i was trying to make to the audience it was mostly school board members and other superintendents and some administrators was when i was a high school student i had it all figured out i knew that i was going to run a seafood factory i was going to go play college football for george Seacole for a couple of years and maybe some uh, higher level football but I knew that I was going to go back to the seafood industry. And I put a screen up with the old Cool Juice Seafood dock. And right beside it is the Golden Nugget Casino. And I said, so we had better be planning for our children to have a plan B in the event that their first plan doesn't work out. Because I could tell you, I love the seafood industry. I still go get shrimp off the boats and take them to my house and process them. But, at the, but I had to be prepared for what's next. And I had no idea that the casino industry would explode in the way that it did, but it basically shut down many of the big factories we had on the point back in those days. So when you, I mean, that's such a, such an important story, which is to say you never forgot where you came from and the lessons you learned really changed your life. Well, in lesson number one for me, we had uh, Francis Natalich, they called him Monkey Natalich, and there was also Rishi Seacool. And my dad told me from the first day I walked down there that people were going to pick at each other. You never are disrespectful to anyone who's older than you. Mm-hmm. And I've been corrected by multiple people. Even though I'm 50 years old, I get corrected by some of my peers about just call me by my first name. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't because my father and mother would never think that that was okay. Yeah, I was, uh, when, I, when I worked for the Newhouses, I used to, you know, they, they called uh, Donald Newhouse, you know, the, the patriarch of the family, you know, Donald. And I said, I always called him Mr. Newhouse. And he would say, no, Donald. I said, no, you don't understand. My dad would roll over in his grave and <laughs> right. knew that I was calling you by your first name. So I never was willing to call him by, by, but it was just part of, you know, who we were, you know? Yeah. So you had some teachers, though, early in your life that really impacted you, didn't you? Yes. Uh, well, and let me tell you very quickly, Howard McNeil, when I was in middle school, and he's worked in Gulfport, Moss Point, St. Martin, Howard McNeil told us all when we were just little kids, uh, I was a middle school student, He gave us a a speech about visualization. He said, see yourself in your future doing great things. And in those days, we were all poor. We didn't know we were poor. You know, we thought if you had a country squire uh, station wagon with a hole in the floor, that was really cool when you sat in those old rumble seats. (laughs) But Howard said, see yourself doing great things. Believe that you can do great things and great things will happen for you. And it always stuck with me. Well, it's clung to me well until I got to my junior speech class and I had a teacher named Vetus Perkins. And... I didn't want to make my senior speech because I was going to run my dad's seafood factories. I was going to play college football. It's not a big deal. And I told Ms. Perkins at the end of the the class that when I wouldn't make my final speech, I said, Ms. Perkins, when will I ever have to speak in front of anyone? I'm not making this speech. And (laughs) I failed failed the class. Well, just my luck, the next year I get her for senior English. And I thought I was going to pull the same thing with my term paper. And this goes back to home visits. Vetus Perkins went to my mother's place of employment and told my mother if I did not get to work in her class, there would be no college football, there'd be no college, because I wasn't going to pass my senior English class. And so they transformed my senior year into the most miserable nine weeks of my life, 
and ultimately changed the path of my life from that point on. And the interesting thing is, Miss Perkins died a few years ago, and her husband called me. Instead of all of Vedas' students, she wanted you to come and say a few words at her uh, visitation. And so I went to the visitation, and I gave that final speech that I did not give my junior year. So great teachers get it out of their students regardless of even if it's 25 years later. I I have a math teacher in seventh grade who told me that I better get a good trade that math is really not for me. And, it, you know, going to do extraordinarily well in math in my college career and, and then lead a company. But but I had an English teacher that told me that I had enormous potential. I remember her like it was yesterday. And what she did for me at that moment in my life was so important. I mean, we can't underestimate what what teachers say and how it's going to change your life, right. can we? Yeah, and that's, and that's why in our district, I think we're 90% digitally contacted of parents last year, one of six in the state, where we were making over 90% contacts, because to me, it's very important. It changed the trajectory of my whole life by having a teacher who cared enough. And when I go do a home visit, I, I say this is what I owe to Vedas Perkins for what she did for me. Man, that's, that's, so, that's so important. Uh, I, I wish every teacher could hear that, you know. Don't ever give up on students, for goodness sakes. Right. You, you never know who's going to be the next. Hey, none of us, no yeah. one got to pick who Steve Jobs was, who Walt Disney was, who Michael Jordan was, but they, everyone had an influence at some part of their life that helped them to get to where they got. Now, the, now in my case, with the, with this particular math teacher, <clears throat> and I had it in me, this desire in me to say, man, am I going to prove him wrong, yeah. you know, which I did. But, but it, you know, it, it's good that I had that internal desire, that dogged determination to do that. But some kids don't necessarily have that. And they're, they're maybe more sensitive and more impressionable. Mm-hmm. And they get the wrong impression of themselves, and it changes their Well, it lives. becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. We never want to do that for children or, no. or to have children live down to a stereotype. No, not, not – man. You became the superintendent of, of education for Pascal and Gaucher like one year before Katrina, or less than a year before Actually, Katrina. 30 days. 30 days? Katrina. I didn't yeah, realize I actually got the job days. at the August 1st was when I took over as superintendent. August 29th is when Katrina hit. Um, and then I was told right after Katrina hit that we had a $1 million insurance policy to cover our losses because it wasn't deemed as wind, it was water or whatever the argument was. So we had $27 million worth of damage, and I had a $1 million flood insurance policy to cover our losses. And we ended up turning that into $7 million with some very tough negotiations, and we ended up writing $23 million worth of grants or $21 million worth of grants. So we, we recovered from it, but it completely changed the trajectory, I think, of public education in South Mississippi because if you find the opportunity in any disaster, uh, you make the most of the opportunity. You can't dwell on the disaster. Nothing's going to fix itself. You have to be the driving force behind it. Wayne, how did you have the foresight how did you have the time during the aftermath of Katrina with all your responsibilities to drive over to the Sun Herald? Well, you guys were open. That's why you were open. WLOX actually had to go do an interview at WLX right after Rex Robinson and I both had an interview there and we drove over and I said, well, I'm going to run to the Sun Herald because we don't have any newspapers and I know they're still printing newspapers. So I go over in my truck and I had the only truck that was still not underwater from Pascagoula and uh, you guys loaded me up with newspapers. You gave me several cases of fruit, and I can remember driving home because it was like a zigzag to try and figure out how to get home. It almost looked like an apocalyptic, uh, apop- 
apocalyptic yeah. uh, scenario. Yeah. And uh, I remember an old guy being sitting in a wheelchair on Pass Road. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's pull over and I'm going to give him some food and give him a newspaper, you know, to give him some hope. And But that hope couldn't have happened without the way the media responded. You guys, WLX, did a super job after uh, we had, uh, we, for, for the first couple of weeks, we were actually printing our newspapers in Columbus, Georgia. So what would happen would be we would send, send our stuff electronically to Columbus, Georgia. They would print the newspaper. And then they would send the newspapers back with, we'd also send a list of needs. So they would, you know, send back diapers and food mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever we needed. And we had just literally, we had this depot in the back of our company, and we were helping employees. And, you know, I'm not surprised that you got free. We were just trying to figure out, you know, what role could we play in the community to help the community. Well, and just to let you know, because nothing was open then, we would take the boxes of fruit, and we took the chicken that was thawing in our freezers because there was no electricity, and we were frying chicken, giving fruit, and giving newspapers while we were paying our employees their paper checks right after the hurricane. Man. To make sure that we were doing some form of service in our cleanup of everything afterwards. So you did this extraordinary effort to bring the bring the um, uh, to bring the school back or the district back after Katrina, and you, you had um, a vision for the Aaron Jones Family Interactive Center. Tell tell about that for a minute. Well, that was formerly Carver High School, and it hadn't been used in about ten years. And I was a lifelong member of Lynn Meadows Discovery Center. And my daughter, Brianna, who's now 22, and I used to go over there all the time. And I wanted to bring something to Pascagoula that mirrored what I had in Gulfport. And I, I felt like the, geographically that was a good fit, that we could create this center. And so over time, Todd uh, Trenchard, um, a really good school board, all got behind the idea. I have one of the best maintenance men, Weber Parker, in the history of maintenance directors. He formerly uh, worked for International Papers, super organized, and he's he was tremendously responsible for much of the recovery we made. But also, I said, Weber, if you'll build me one room, I promise you I won't bother you anymore. <laughs> so he built the library. And I said, you know what, if we had a playroom at the end of this hall, it'd be great. <laughs> and then we started creating themes and having different corporate sponsors do each of the rooms, and now we're up to 17 rooms. I also have a technology wing with flight simulation, a planetarium, a dance studio, an Xbox studio. And these all convert into teacher training centers as well. So they're multifaceted in their use. You can even get your hunting license here in our district now. We have a digital rifle range. So yeah. It's really cool for kids. Man, that is like, how many people have you touched? Well, we've just on Super Saturdays, we're well over 50,000 people coming to our uh, Aaron Jones Democrat. What's Center. amazing about that is that I remember I had gone over there to do a speech or something. And while I was there you grabbed me and you brought me over to Carver High you wanted me to see what you were thinking about you hadn't done it yet right and now looking back it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish we're having a conversation with Rain Wayne Rodolfich who is the superintendent of schools for Pascal Gaucher and the superintendent of the year last year about his journey uh, from uh, from the seafood factories of the point of Alexi to the superintendent of the year for the state of Mississippi and his vision for education, it's really fascinating. Thank you for, for joining me. This has been an incredible conversation. We'll see you right after the break. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. 
Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Wayne Rodolfich, who is the superintendent of schools for Pascal and Gosho and the superintendent of the year last year. Kyle Curley is a great producer, man. He, he has this way of just finding things about people. And one of the things that our Facebook uh, audience got to see was a picture of you and Nick Saban together. So what's that all about? Well, you know, it's the greatest photo bomb in the history of photo bombs. <laughs> and uh, I'm just proud that I was able to take a picture with a fellow Croatian. Yeah, he's a Croatian for sure, man. Him and Bill Belichick. That's from, right. Two yeah. of the greatest football coaches of all time. Oh, wow. Anyway, Kyle, thank you for showing that. He's, uh, you know, that's a that's a cool catch on, on Kyle's part. So we were talking about the Family Interactive Center. Anything else you want to say about that? I'm just, you know, sometimes people get more credit than they deserve. And there was such a great team that pulled together to build that. And teachers have volunteered. Community groups have volunteered. Uh, the Baker McCarty Foundation, uh, Carver High alumni. There is so many, there's so much synergy around it yeah. that it's become something that will, you know, go for years and years. And it's not built around a single individual. It's built around a team of individuals who want to see a great place for children. It's so it's so cool to see how you and the, those leaders in the community and the people who are, are really passionate, not just about the Interactive Center, but also want to see a legacy for Carver High come together to do something like that. It's really, it's really cool to see. One of the other major projects you've done is the Performing Arts Center. And, uh, man, is that an impressive I've seen. I haven't been there, but I've seen the pictures of it. What a what a cool place! Well, and it's it's a cultural center for Jackson County. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a place where we can have uh, recitals, dance recitals in our community. I actually brought in two of our uh, recital groups in to help us design the stage. Mm-hmm. They also wanted to make sure we had adequate dressing in the back. We've got classrooms to do uh, different types of classes there. Uh, there's concession, there's a catering space, there's a great lobby, there's a great upstairs lobby, there's great local artwork. Uh, it's just a tremendous center for culture in our community, and it's much needed. It's been on our last three strategic plans, and the last time the strategic plan came up, I said, guys, we're going to do this this time. Yeah, it's got comfortable chairs. I mean, it's really, it's really modern. Yeah. And it's not just for the school. You see it as a community center, so That's to speak. Right. And, and the other cool thing is you can show motion pictures there. We have motion picture capability. But if you've ever been to Disney to the Frozen show, we have a back screen digital where you can have actual live backgrounds with birds flying and animals walking across these scenic backgrounds. And that's something that we're developing. But it is a new dimension for performing arts. You were really impacted. I I remember reading about you. Your dad had a collection of 45s and music from motion pictures that you guys used to listen to on a regular basis. That's one of your cult personal family cultural experience well and one of my challenges whenever i became principal of goche high school they gave me a test where i had to listen to soundtracks and identify the soundtrack and i got 19 out of 21 of them good for uh, you but i can remember the you know elmer bernstein Ennio marconi all these great composers and i just had this rich education from my father growing up listening to all these genres of music i bet if i asked your daughters about specific animals they could not only tell me the name of that animal, they could tell me the terrain that they lived in, the climate they required, and all of that. It's true, isn't That's it? true. And then the other thing is my 22-year-old daughter can actually identify most of those soundtracks because I've played them for her since she was born all the way until she was an adult, and she's an aspiring musician mm-hmm. now. You know, if we were to go down the list, and, I, and I've read so many different stories about uh, what, what is going on in your school district, we don't have time to go through all those, but we've wet, we've wet the listeners 
uh, whistle with some of the incredible stuff that you've done. And it requires a strategic plan, which you have. It helps. You're constantly reevaluating strategically. Strategic meaning long-term, where are you headed? And what are the steps in the short term that's going to help you get there? You're constantly looking at your, your world in that way. And you don't ever sleep, do you? It's, 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 it's constant. Every day is a new day. But part of that is being raised in the seafood industry. You get up every day at 3.30, and that's how your day begins. And it's just stuck with me. So I'm up every day around 4 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes I'll force myself to go back to sleep, but usually that's when my day begins. What keeps you up at night? My children. I have four children under the age of eight years old, and all of them want to sleep in mom and dad's bed. <laughs> so that, that, that really keeps me up. What excites you the most? Well, this, seeing a child discover something they haven't seen before, and I'll tell you the Pathways to Possibilities event where we bring in 8,000 students from across the coast and the lower six counties, and they see new fields that they can go into for the first time. That excites me, watching the expression. I've driven to the Delta to watch their events so I could see children who've never saw this occupation before become excited by it. That's, that's, that is so cool. I, I love the Mississippi Delta. And it has so many challenges. Awesome. It's yeah. a beautiful place. Um, what's the biggest drag on your budget? I think the constant worry about uh, insurance costs and uh, things that surround us in those areas. I, th- I can't have this conversation with someone in your position, especially these days, without asking you how much does school safety occupy your, your, your day? Well, it's a priority of every day. That's our first thing is to make sure we transport every child to school safely and that we're in a safe environment. It's, uh, it's a different world, isn't it? It is. Did you ever think 10 years ago you'd be worrying about the kind of things you worry about today? Well, no, but we've always been prepared for those things. We've mm-hmm. always tried to be prepared for them. Should a teacher have a gun not if you have adequate law enforcement employed by your district and there are some concerns about having teachers with guns and it's just the frequency of times that that gun can become available to students yeah tell me more about that well because you have to have number one you have to take that weapon out of your vehicle you have to get it to a secure place in the school and at the end of the day you have to repeat the process Mm -hmm. and you multiply that time the number of schools you have depending on the number of people you have the other part of that is uh, if you talk to anyone in law enforcement, they'll tell you if they go into a building and there's a civilian carrying a gun and they've got an intruder with a gun in the building, that they're probably going to take that person down. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from the professionals. So I think that getting adequate law enforcement in place that are professionally trained mm-hmm. uh, is Which the you most have. important thing. That's right. I have six law enforcement people. Yeah. And I've actually, the last three times, the sheriff of Jackson County was my former law enforcement chief, Mike Ezell. Mm-hmm. Michael Whitmore, who was a former chief of police, was my chief of law enforcement. And Calvin Hutchins, who's a former chief of police in Moss Point, is currently my law enforcement chief. So you, you, feel, you feel good about your plan. It's something you think about every day. and it's Well, I feel good about the people that we employ because I know that they care about kids because whenever you're out there and I've got six law enforcement officers that are making those 600 home visits with me, yeah. that they're committed to our children. You know, I always ask people this question, and you're in a good position to really know this, or at least have a point of view about it. Education is important, but education sort of fits into the overall community. And we talked a few minutes ago about the bookends with Chevron and Ingalls and Center Space Center and, and g- gaming and tourism. And I mean, it's just such a diverse economy. It's the number one region of our state. We got the port, we've got highway systems. T- tell me what you th- your thoughts are about just the overall region and how education fits in. What, what's your thoughts? Well, I that? think South Mississippi is the best kept secret in the country whenever it comes to the ability to improve our economy. 
because you have so much commercial real estate available that has direct access to I-10, Highway 90, the rail system, the ports, the airports. Uh, you know, we have a great bandwidth uh, footprint here on South Mississippi. I think bandwidth is crucial. While I was in California at San Diego, San Diego actually has a free bandwidth area there. I think that's important for commerce here. I think it's a small amenity that you can offer. Uh, but you know, you also have to know what's important to those companies about the type of people that they want to employ and how you can recruit people in based on the availability of employees that you can create out of your systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Slogel said when, when he talked about coastal Mississippi, he said, we live in paradise. Oh, yeah. We, we do live in paradise, don't we? Yeah, when you look at the availability of fresh seafood, the ability to go saltwater, freshwater fishing, to hunt, water sports, recreation through your casino industry, entertainment, it's limitless in the amenities you can provide to your employees if you locate here. And, and my belief is that the more people we can get to come here, the greater the commerce, the greater the opportunity for young people, because those tax dollars generate opportunities in our schools. I had a, had a, a wonderful conversation with Terry uh, Green and Rick Carter from the Island View. And the morning that I had that conversation, I looked at, I live on Back Bay. I looked out over Back Bay. It was literally one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. sunrises I have ever seen. And during the conversation, I asked both of them, because they've traveled all over the world, where have you seen a better sunset? And they said, you know, we haven't seen it. Then Kyle said, you might find a better sunset maybe out in the middle of the Pacific somewhere. <laughs> I said, well, no one lives there. So we are, man, it really is a special place, isn't it? I think what, part of what this show is about is reminding people that we do have this unique opportunity to live in paradise. It's sad, though, that one of our biggest exports is our brain power. And how do we turn that around? Well, I think what we're doing now with college and career academies, and I have to say that Gulfport School District has done a great job with that, and we've kind of followed in their path and changed the path a little bit. Uh, the number of offerings that we have in our schools, we, in Pascal Gotche School District, we have the highest number of vocational offerings in the state, and we're piloting cybersecurity and uh, drone flight. And so there's some advanced technology opportunities there, but you also still have our welding. And, and I wanted to tell you quickly about that partnership with Ingalls. We have a hired up program that we're doing now, and it has been tremendous for unemployed and underemployed people who are now getting opportunities after going through the Ingalls training to be able to go right into the workforce making $22 an hour. It's wow, a phenomenal that's opportunity. that's great. And you, you couple that with Mary Graham's leadership of Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Incidentally, I have her tomorrow. She's super. <clears throat> what We're going to have a great conversation, just like Education Week. But And I look forward to having a conversation with Glenn East as well. I know he's yeah. been very progressive here very in, in this school district in Gulfport. But, um, but yes, you know, it, we live in a very special place. And I think a lot of leaders are very focused on making sure from this point forward that our number one export is not our brain power. I've been lucky. Two of my kids settled here. One, unfortunately, is in New York now. But, um, you know, so I'm batting, you know, I'm doing okay. But I wish he had an opportunity to come home as well. Anyway, we, we have um, Wayne Rodolfich, who is the superintendent of school for uh, Pascal and Gushay. We'll see you after the break. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. You, you were a big athlete. You played you, Delta State, is that right? Yeah, I played at Delta State and uh, Mississippi, Mississippi Gulf, Gulf Coast. Coast. I was on George C. Cool's last state championship team, and I, and I hate to do this because you said I was modest earlier, but I was actually the leading rusher on that state championship team, and I'll tell you why. Jeffrey Briel, 
the Sean Rooney, Tommy Dugan, <laughs> Carl Manali, and Jamal Tillman. I had a bunch of road graders in front of me. Yeah. And they just would pound people to death. But once again, Kyle showed a picture of you playing football, so he's <laughs> he's on top of he's on top of his game today. I'm what a great producer he is. This is our last segment, but I want to really zero in on the serious part of the conversation, and that is this, that public education in Mississippi has been ranked on the bottom or near the bottom every year for as far back as they've been measuring this. It, we've, we've received uh, grades of F on academic achievement and Ds on chance of success for students. Um, you spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff and putting the kind of things in place in your school district that will make a difference, as has other supervisors, uh, uh, superintendents who have made tremendous progress. But how do we take what you've learned and explode it across this state in a way that gets us off the bottom? Well, first of all, I'm going to advocate that every child in the state, and we already do that, we do this now. Yeah. But that our, our sole measure of accountability for students, and you're going to have people that are going to disagree with me on this point. I wrote an article in the Sun-Herald's 2013, The Case for the ACT, and that the ACT, and you as a parent know, that that was the ultimate score for your child to get into college. And so I have advocated that that would be the only test we took, and we didn't take it from a punitive standpoint, but from a diagnostic standpoint to see where we are and move away from this punitive accountability system that we have because it creates winners and losers. Uh, and we, we want everyone to be a winner, but not everyone has the tools to be successful in the state of Mississippi. There's sometimes funding issues that go along. There's different regional parts of the states that struggle. Uh, and I just think that the ACT and the ACT work keys as a companion for the vocational side. So you have your college and career. You truly have a two-pathway where you could have a measure for are we ready for the workforce? Are we ready for college? And it simplifies things. Mm -hmm. And right now in the secondary level, we have four state subject area tests that don't count for anything beyond high school. It's just a measurement. Mm -hmm. And you're only checking your English 2, Biology 1, U.S. History, and Algebra 1. So you're not even encompassing all of the different levels of mathematics and science within this. The ACT does a better job of combining those things. So that's that's my first suggestion would be, number one, let's simplify the, the testing process. Yeah, what is good in the state uh, today is that it used to be that if you didn't go to college, you failed. You know, that was maybe the, I mean, I don't know if that was the, the scorecard for educators, but certainly for the general populace. We've begun to have a, a really important conversation about there's another, there's, a, there's this workforce training thing right. that is so powerful. And as you've already pointed out, it provides really good paying jobs for people. Right. And that the measure of success is not just whether you're ready for college or not. It's, it's, it's are you ready for the workforce? Right. In fact, there are people who go to college that probably should have gone down the workforce uh, realm. Um, but do you think that's part of the uh, part of the key to success as we go forward? Well, absolutely, because I think you have to really truly create a pathway for every student. Every student's not going to want to go to college. Mm -hmm. Just like I said earlier, I'd have been in the seafood industry had seafood continued to thrive as it did. But that industry pretty much was decimated uh, by several factors. But you know, the casino industry really that made prime real estate of all the coastal area that we have. So, but when you look at that, creating those opportunities for people to be able to work with their hands, uh, there's great paying jobs out there uh, that we have to connect people to in this state. And that's how you bring industry into the state. And Pope Francis said that one of the most important things we can do for people is make sure they have a job. He's so, you know, really focused on that. 
Um, do you think there's a there's an ongoing conversation in the state around your approach to uh, measuring success around ACT, or do you think it's always yeah? That, well, and actually, they were having that conversation earlier in the preceding show with uh, legislators and middle, uh, junior college president. Uh, and and again, it's a concept that's been out there. And let me tell you something from an accountability standpoint: the Pasco Ogoche School District isn't going to be an increase in accountability. It would drop us a little. Yeah. But it would also have us focusing more on those important ACT and ACT work keys, things that are going to help people to become employed and get those great scholarships. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a greater focus for us. And the early childhood movement, too, I would say is important for us um, in the pre-K and kindergarten and having children ready to read by the time they get to the third grade. When you assess across the state, and as we're beginning to kind of wind down, I wish we had like a whole nother show to have this conversation, but... Do you see progress? I mean, when you look across the state, there is progress being made, isn't there? There's absolute progress being made in the state of Mississippi, and there's some really good things happening for our state, and NAEP scores have gone up. We're among the leaders in the country in NAEP right now. And when you look at our early childhood, same thing. That was born from a piece of legislation written by Bryce Wiggins out of Pascagoula. He was our Excel by Five chairperson prior Mm -hmm. to that, Mm -hmm. and we actually had instituted pre-K-4 classes the year before that law was written, and we're not part of the collaborative, but we're part of that organizational movement towards pre-kindergarten for students. Mm-hmm. I know that you're on an advisory board for Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, and I know that the governor's having conversations about this. There, there are a lot of leaders in the state, uh, in, you know, business leaders, public leaders that are that are focused on improving education. As long as we have people like you in your job, we got a chance to make this. And. Uh, I wish we had more time. Well, look, I love the conversation that we're having with the legislature now and with the leadership in Jackson. It's been the most prosperous year we've ever had as it relates to our so they're listening. relationship. They are. They're listening. Uh, this has been this has been Wayne Rodolfich, who is the superintendent of schools for Pasadena and Gaucher and the superintendent of the year last year. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me here. It's been a tremendous experience. Thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. Have a great day. And like I said, we have Mary Graham tomorrow, the president of Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. What a great leader she's been. She's a superstar. And we'll see you tomorrow. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.